It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David. I'm here with Chris, and we are in St. Louis today. Uh, for a very special guest that Chris got lined up for. So normally we talk about what we've been up to and new music we're listening to, and we're just going to bypass that. We'll tell you to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and uh, follow us on Facebook. So uh, Chris, uh, seven-hour road trip for me, four-hour road trip for you. I think it's going to be worth it. What do you think? I know it's going to be worth it. So uh, why don't you uh, introduce everybody to our, our guest this week? Yeah, definitely, man. This this guy, I've been a fan of this guy for a long time, man. Going back to when I was in college, the late '90s, I used to just blast this guy's music. Um, fronted one of the most legendary bands of, and to me, one of the most legendary bands of all time. That being the Misfits. This guy has uh, gone on and released just such a diverse, eclectic catalog of music, and. Um, I think you're going to find as we go through this podcast that one of the, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is not just not to talk about his music, but everything else this guy's done. He's just uh, he's an interesting guy, and I say that in the with the utmost respect. So, without further ado, Mr. Michael Grace. Thank you very much. What a, what a wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, uh, Michael, uh, like I said, we do appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us and. Every time we have a guest on our show, we ask them the same two first questions. So All right. You're no different. Okay. What's your earliest memory of music, and who was the first artist or band that basically hooked you in for life? My earliest memory of music um, was probably a Cat Stevens song um, on the radio, on AM radio, when WABC was broadcasting out of New York, uh, New York, they were still playing music. My mom always had that station on, so my earliest memory of music is, is hearing that radio and feeling inside when I heard music, something would happen, um, which I later figured out you know, what was going on, which has led me here, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, what's number two? Who was the first, you know, artist or band, you know, that basically hooked you in for life? Like, really hooked you on music? Um, hmm. You might laugh, but um, 
Well, I remember getting um, into Def Leppard Pyromania. Um, that record. He's not gonna laugh at you. <laughs> was 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 incredible. Um, that and I remember being real young and listening to Dow Hall and John Oates. H two O was the was the record, and that kind of um, you know Bruce Springsteen. I remember I lived with my you know my uncle. I grew up in the house with my uncle who was you know had lots of records, and and my older brother. Um, it's like listening to the Rolling Stones and. Um, Ozzy Osbourne, early Ozzy Osbourne. So growing up in New Jersey, though, you had to be a Springsteen fan. Like you didn't have a choice, did you? Yeah, Springsteen, Bon Jovi, and then Skid Row, and yeah, a lot of a lot of great talent came out of New Jersey. So yeah, just Chris and I are both from the South, so it's kind of like everybody automatically assumes you're a Leonard Skinner fan. So right, automatically right. assume everybody yeah. from Jersey's a is a Bruce, guy. right? Is a Springsteen fan. So after you got into music, who were some of your earliest influences on you? Um. I've never put any of my tastes in a box. You know, I'm, I'm not a very clicky guy, so um, my taste in music is very eclectic. And again, I, I remember listening to... Much like your catalog. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, I remember listening to the Rolling Stones through the past. Darkly was a, was a record that really influenced me and Ozzy Osbourne. Um, Bark at the Moon, and when he released that album and that single, he released... Um, um, so tired, you know, and he was the he was the hunchback in Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller inspired me. Um, all the way, we jump to the other side when I discovered the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. Um, you know, the 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 rage and the energy of that really inspired me. Um, I was a big U2 fan. You know, I'm I'm a bleeding heart in a lot of ways, uh, and so U2's music really. Um, really spoke to me. I was a huge, huge YouTube fan. Um, but really, you know, anything that I came across, I loved David Bowie. I loved Adam Ant. You know, in the goth days, I was into Sisters of Mercy and Bauhaus and Peter Murphy. Man, Just I, anything, you know. I, I love theater. I love music Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, I, I love listening to gospel music. I love blues. So anything, if it stirs my soul, I'm into it. Well, we hear that in your music too, man. I mean, you're you're so diverse. I mean, everything going from the Misfits, your latest record, Backroads, which is just Americana. I mean, straight yes, up, man. right on. It's an Americana it's record. Thank you, thank and, you, and and I love it, man. I, I I love the diversity in your music. Thank you. You're welcome, man. And growing up, so being from Jersey, the Misfits. Well, so we're about to get into that. I mean, were they an influence? Were they somebody you listened to as a kid? I was young. You know, the Misfits had, had broke up in 81, 82. Um, you know, so I, I, was, I, was, I was young. But I was a skate rat. So, you know, Glenn continued with Sam Hain and, and the whole punk thing sort of tumbled forward. And again, I was in close proximity, not only to New York City, but, but to Lodi. Um, and being a skate rat, a skate rat hang, hanging out with, you know, punks and, and skinheads, there's no way you, you can't not come across Black Flag, Misfits, Ramon, Sex Pistols, all of, all of that stuff. But again, I, I was very eclectic, so I was never just into one band. I remember hearing, you know, skating and hanging out, and those are the days, mixtapes, right? And people yeah. would hang out, and you'd skate and you'd bring a boombox, and someone, you know, someone would bring uh, mixtapes. There was always, you'd always hear Skulls, you'd always hear Martian. Um, and a lot of the songs that I learned later when I was preparing to be in the band 
I remember, I was like, oh, I, I, I know this song, you know, I've, I've heard it before. Uh, so they were never an influence on me. I, I was at the age where I knew Danzig before I really knew who the Misfits were. Mm -hmm. You know, Mother came out as a single on MTV. Um, and, you know, it was in the, the middle of the whole lyric controversy and the... Uh, um, um, and, and so I remember seeing that and, and, and so I, I came through it all that way like that's how I put it all together when I was in the band I was like wait a second Glenn Danzig was the lead singer and I was like oh oh shit okay this well, is real I think people forget too that, that the Misfits I mean as big as they are now and they're about you know they're selling out these arenas they play in yeah People did it didn't, it seemed like until Cliff Burton started wearing the t-shirt, nobody even knew who they were, you know? True. And they really just grew over time. And, it's I mean, the legend of the misfits. I, I, I easily, well, let's not make it about me. When the misfits first started, they didn't play that many shows, a handful of shows. Uh, um, and it was the legend, it was the, the stories behind it, you know, that really, when I got into the band, it was funny, we used to laugh, you know, there was so many people that said, they had stories about the Misfits and they had seen the Misfits and Doyle and Jerry used to laugh like, you know, we didn't even play that many shows. Um, so the legend really preceded everything and, and that's how the, the band grew as a, um, you know, with, with, with that legend. Not to take anything away from the music, but um, yeah, Cliff Burton wearing the t-shirt the and uh, Metallica doing the songs. Um, it just, it, it, grew, it grew from that. Um, and then you can't, you can't deny that when we came back, you know, when we did the resurrection tour in 94, 95, um, that was just, that was the match on the whole, on the, on the whole fucking stack of everything. Um, and that gave life, like true life to it. Again, it legitimized it when we were done with the resurrection tour. And we used to, when we would play, Marilyn Manson would come out, the guys from Metallica would come out, all of these people that were influenced you know, Rob Zombie would come out and see us and hang out. Um, and we legitimized our, ourselves and, and me as the front man doing the Resurrection Tour, all of the old stuff. You know, 30, 40 song nights, just all of it, ripping through it. And then once we, we got to American Psycho, it was time to say, all right, we are a legitimate act. We're not, we're not just capitalizing on the past of, of what Glenn did. We're going to take what Glenn did and turn it into something new and and substantive um and american psycho was was the catalyst great record too. yeah so thank you let's touch on the misfits for a minute and then we're sure. going to go into we want to talk to you about politics and everything sure uh, like i said we got time yeah uh just real quick how did the, how did you get the misfits gig right place right time my life is very much like forrest gump coincidences and right place, right time stuff. I was in a band called Mopes. We simply were looking to record a demo. I randomly picked a studio out of the newspaper, out of the Aquarium. And I asked a friend of mine, I don't know all of these studios, how do you pick a studio? And she said, well, pick the one with the biggest ad because they probably spent the most money and they're probably the most motivated to get something done. So I just randomly picked Real Platinum Studios in Lodi, New Jersey. Went in there, we were recording, and Bobby Oleka came up to me one day as I was doing vocals, and he said, there's a band that's in here working on something. They're called The Misfits. Well, they're looking for a singer, and you'd probably be 
you'd probably do really well. So he introduced me to Kenny and Doyle and Jerry. Um, I scheduled an audition. You know, I called Jerry and he said, learn as much stuff as you can or as much stuff as you want. When you're ready, give me a call, come up and, and we'll play some songs. Uh, so I went up there. Uh, it was the eve of my 20th birthday and jammed a bunch of songs. Um, and then nothing happened. And then I came back jammed more songs and that sort of thing kept on rolling forward um, you know, auditions were opened up to the public there was talk about Davanian coming it was crazy there was hundreds of people that came to the door they took out ads in the in the newspapers word leaked that Jerry was recording everybody that came up so there were times I remember being in the in the shop where where we were located out of and there was lines of kids out the door just waiting to come to sing songs. And Jerry would record every single one and hand everybody a tape. Just bring a tape and record it, and here you go. Um, so that went on for a while. And Jerry was kind of, not lukewarm to me, but those guys didn't really want to put all their, their eggs in my basket, if you will. Because a lot was riding on. 20-year-old inexperienced kid. Long hair, I'm smoking cigarettes. I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of a wild child. And uh, Doyle... Not lifting weights like those guys? No, <laughs> man, no, no, no. Smoking weed. And Doyle didn't like me. Doyle and I, you know, we would look at each other and he would give me death looks and I would just kind of, you know, be a punk ass to him. Um, so in the beginning, we, we, we weren't, you know, we didn't mesh. So jump forward to as, as Halloween's approaching, and um, eventually I cracked through to Doyle. I made him laugh one day after practice, and we were best of friends after that. Um, but Halloween is, was approaching, and the band was going to have to do something to capitalize on Halloween, or they were going to have to wait a whole nother year to, to launch what they were trying to do. So Ken Creedy called them up. Ken Creedy was managing like Life of Agony, Typo Negative, all of the Biohazard, all of the, the New York City hardcore bands. He said Typo Negative is playing a sold out show, Roseland, New York City, Halloween night. If you guys want, come out on, uh, you know, during the encore, it'll be a big surprise and launch your project that way. It'll be incredible. They didn't have a singer. Of course they said, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll do it, but we don't have a singer. And they asked Pete Steele to do it. So Pete said, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll do it. I'll help you out. But I don't know any of the songs. So they called me to teach Pete Steele the songs. I was a huge Typo Negative. Huge Typo Negative fan. I love, typo. I love Life of Agony, by the way. You missed Life of Agony. That's one of my favorite bands. Yeah, I discovered time. Life of Agony when, on, when we um, you know, really first started touring with them. I, I saw them open up for, for Typo Negative a couple of times. Um, so I find myself in Brooklyn teaching Pete Steele Misfit songs. And we're hanging out and, and, and everybody's there and we're working through the songs. And at one point, Pete stops the whole process and he says, this kid is your singer. You have to let this kid get up there and, and sing these songs. He does it better than me. He sings better than anybody in this fucking room. This is your guy. And so they let me go up there and, and, and sing. So... All of a sudden, you're fronting one of the most influential punk bands. Like, All of a sudden, literally like that. It was so it was overnight. Are was, you are you like pitching yourself or? Nope. I I mean obviously I'm. Um, or were you too young to fully appreciate? 
I fully appreciated it to, to, to what it was, but I was conditioned enough and I was prepared enough to say, I, you got to be calm. The only way that you're going to, that I'm going to accomplish what I accomplish is to remain focused and at the task at hand, this, I can't freak out. I, I can't, um, celebrate. I have to remain focused and, and perform and be the best that I, I can be. Um, because everybody and their brother wanted to, wanted to sing for that band, you know, so it was constant incoming. Everyone was just waiting, to, you know, to knock me off. See, and I think when you came into the, the it was definitely, you, you brought a heavier sound to the band, for sure. And I thought, when I hear, like, which, by the way, Doyle's latest record is badass. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you've checked that out much, but it... I've heard some of it. It's really good. And he brought a lot of the heaviness, too. But see, that's what I was going to ask you, is how that really worked out, because I was wondering, did you bring that to them? Did, I mean, was it Doyle? Because he took it from the Misfits, yeah. from the, the, if we can say... You know, 2.0. Yeah. He brought it. He he took it from there, and his his own career is a, it's, it's um, a heavier sound. But y'all definitely brought a heavier sound to it. Yeah. Um, what Doyle brought to the band was was that the heavy, the heaviness, obviously, and and the 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 metal lean to everything, um, and then. It, we were a perfect writing pair because I had a sense of all that and I loved all that, but my natural way to write is very pop. It's much more, you know, bubblegummy. So when him and I get together and we put our heads together, you get songs like Pumpkinhead, you get songs like Helena, you get songs like Scarecrow Man. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely brought some of the, um, the, the heavier stuff out, I was into Marilyn Manson and Tool and um, you know bands like that 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 were Metallica. I was really into uh, into that music and um, and so it was almost uh, a, a green flag for them to say, all right, we can create like this. Again, it just doesn't have to be three chords and that's it. You pretty much answered your question. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just and what I was going to go for this as we kind of start to wrap up with the Misfits is um, as far as the acceptance when you come in a new guy I mean people are so loyal to Glenn yeah you know still to this day I feel like as time has progressed I see so much you know when I'm looking on social media or if I'm looking on YouTube anything where everybody's like the Graves era is the best the Graves yeah. era there's more and more of that happening now and so I guess where I feel like there's so much of that acceptance now, what was it like when you first took over? Did you feel accepted by no. the fans? No. When I first took over, we went over to Europe, and the fans were very combative. You know, the thing was to, to get me off the stage, and, you know, I would get stomped on and elbowed and punched. You know, the skinheads knew that I was, that I was green, if you will, and... Um, Again, you know, back those those days were still rowdy. The the mid '90s, there was there was a rowdiness and and still a real uh, element to punk in the skinhead scene, which was you know it started to come apart and fray after that. Um, but Europe was rough, man. Rough, Europe was was rough, and it wasn't until um, mid you know America of the Resurrection tour that I, I remember sensing something 
starting to change because they couldn't stop me. They couldn't stop me bleeding and cut. They would take all my stuff and, you know, they would try to get the microphone out of my hand. I started duct taping everything to my, to my body. And, you know, I'd say no matter what happens to me, they can kick and stomp me. I'd be on the bottom of piles and, I'd, and the thing is I'd just keep singing. I would never stop singing. Um, so it was rough uh, in, in the beginning. It was a trial by fire. And it sucks, man, because I, I listen to those records, you know, and when I, when you first, you know, came on with the band, I don't know how I really felt. I mean, I'm, I'm getting, this is a new singer and all. Yeah. But as time has progressed, I do find myself going, and I'm not saying this just because you're in front of me, I do find myself going more into Graves Camp. And yeah. I mean, it's a legendary-ass band. I'll tell you, the music is, is speaks to people in, in different ways. The old stuff is much more... Um, it really doesn't reach into your soul. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah, great songs and the lyrics are wonderful and it's it's great. But then when you hear a song like Dig Up Her Bones or or Crying on Saturday Night or, or any of those other songs, the spell that's cast through those songs changes people's lives. It 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 gets inside them, it speaks to them, it gives them hope. All of these emotions you know it really plays with with the soul and i don't think not to take anything away from any of that the music that glenn created it's just different spells that 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 we've cast um yeah and, and the misfits music affects people in profound ways in, in profound spiritual ways much different than than the than the danzig era does i just love that you're getting your due now though man i mean it may not have happened then but i i I see it. I hope you see it. But you see it when you, you look know, at the stuff, I, how, how much people are starting to appreciate yeah, the Martin Graves. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the first thing in my mind, my response back to you would, it was going to be, well, I don't, you know, I don't see it financially, you know. But I, I do. I, I, the respect. The people come up to me, and I, and I always say that my life is blessed. After the show, or I walk into a room, people come up to me, and they shower me with compliments. And they thank me for, for the things that I'm doing and they tell me how they tell me how wonderful I am. What a blessing that is to be honored by, you know, other souls in that way. You can't buy that. No, no. That's the stuff that that, that is that's true currency and, and makes me one of the richest people in the world. So as we wrap up the Misfits era, just briefly, why did you why did you part ways? Because you parted ways twice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, again, it's a long story. And that that first that first departure um, again was a, an example of me standing my ground. Um, me leaving the band to play hockey is a legend. It's that's that's fake news. I didn't leave the band to play hockey, um, but that was the 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 first major earthquake in the band. When I came back after the first time I departed, I was no longer in the band. You know, I, I, was, a, I was working for the band after that. And I came back because that was my whole world. I was a very young man. I was very, very young, very humble. I worked at a resort, you know, groundskeeping and, and as a social worker with kids and, and families. And, you know, I was a tree guy. I worked a ground crew, a tree company. I was happy, you know. My, my big dream in life was perhaps to make music, but to, to work and live on a farm 100 million miles away from everybody. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I, was, I, I was fine going 
stepping out of it. Um, the second time that, that, I, that I left, um, I, I, was, I, I, was, I was miserable with everything that I'm celebrated for now. You see all these people coming up to me and, and again thanking me for the work and I was never respected in that way back then. Not by the fans, I'm saying by the, the infrastructure of the misfits, from the record companies to the publishing companies to the agencies, everybody, to the, to the main people in the band. Nobody respected me. Hired hand. I was just a hired hand. And they treated me like these songs and the things that I was doing on stage just showed up in the mail. Like I was, you know, you just press a button and, and, and Dig Up Her Bones showed up or Cried on Saturday Night showed up or, um, or my image or... And I, when I used to say, you know, I'm, I'm unhappy, I don't like this, I would lodge a complaint, if you will. The response to, always to me was, well, you can go home. There's a lot of people standing behind you that would love to be in your position if you don't like it. Yeah. Too bad. And so eventually it got to a point where the relationships and the band, the, the glue that once held us together was so, it was all gone. And I had images of myself, hand of God, hanging myself in the crew bus that I was now living. That's the truth. Darkness like, darkness like I've n never experienced before in my life. And I would sit there and I would feel these things and I would say, you know, I can continue down this road with these guys and let all of that darkness come into me and it would, it's gonna make me a very, very different person. It'd be a very different Michael today if, if I went down that road. I'd probably be dead. I always say I, I probably wouldn't have made it through. Or I, I can just go back to being a normal person. I don't need people clapping. I don't, I don't need the, the adulation. I don't need to be a big rock star. It's never been about that for me. It's always been about something very different. Um, and so I walked away because I, I didn't want to be you know how that goes. You start. I, I would have started drinking and drugs and just, and and so I was at that crossroads with the with the well dressed man in, in black saying, "What do you want to do? You can go that way. You can go that way." And I left the band, and I left. We're glad you're here, man. I appreciate We're it. We're glad you're here. I appreciate but... it. And the years after I, I I I left the band were some of the most horrible years of my life. I lost everything. There were people dying all around me. The towers came down in New York City in close proximity, and it was fucking crazy, dude. It was crazy. It was crazy. Man, that, that's that's tough. I will one you know one before I, my last question. I will say on the Misfits is I, I did see an interview with you mm -hmm. where, as we know, we did I think Vegas and L.A. and now they're playing in uh, Jersey. Yeah. Misfits. Yeah, yeah. It's and I saw you saying you feel like it's there's a chance there's going to be a Misfits reunion with Michael Graves. I don't think it's going to happen like a full scale tour with Danzig. I just don't for whatever reason. And I don't know with Danzig, um, but maybe with Graves. Of course, all those guys have to do is call me up. There's not many things that we would have to work out to, to make that happen. I've already spoken to them about it. I've already, they know that I love the music, that I'm, I'm in it for the, you know, obviously for the money, but also for the fans, because I'm the guy that always says it's the misfits and that music is much bigger than just one person, much bigger than four people or five people. 
Um, it's, it's for the fans. And so as we approach anniversaries for American Psycho and anniversaries for actually for Famous Monsters, um, as, as well in the future, it makes perfect sense on many different levels to, 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 to do that. And I'm not opposed to it whatsoever. I've never have been. I'm the easy guy in the in the mix of things to deal with. Well, I hope it happens. I mean, not that I don't want you, I don't want you to stop doing your celebration. I would never stop doing They're amazing. amazing. And we're gonna never. get we're gonna get to that. I promise we're gonna get to that. Because mm -hmm. your solo records, man, a couple of them that you've done, I put up with misfits. I'll I'll and they may go above the misfits for me. That's how good I think they are. Thank anyway, you. I'm going to talk. All right, I have a random question for you. Cool. How did you guys wind up wrestling? What, the tour that I wasn't on in South America, Jerry hooked up with, with Vampiro, and Vampiro was in WCW, and they cooked it up to, to get the band on. So, I mean, did you guys have any, like, training at all, or y'all just out there winging it? No, they, they gave us uh, um, some briefings, you know, yeah. uh, we all, um, once we knew that we were going to have the opportunity to, to be in the ring, doubled down on our, on our, um, our phys, you know, our, our, our workouts, our PT. Because um, at the time, that was the number one show on cable. Yeah, it was, it, it was. And y'all were on there, because I was a big wrestling fan back in the day, mm -hmm. and y'all were on there for like two months. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we were given a really awesome opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, they, they trained us a bit, and I, I really started to take a liking to what was happening. Um, you know, and, and some of the guys would pull me aside, and, and they'd, they'd get me in the ring, and they'd show me different things. And, um, it was, yeah, it was really, it was cool. Cool. It was cool. So after that, you leave the Misfits. Yeah. But out, there's a Graves record. Yeah. Web of Dharma, which if you can tell me any way I can get my hands on that record, man, I would, I would love that. I, I mean, I think the only way is to is to get in touch with the abominable Doctor Chud. I know that he has them. He does. Yeah, I, I can't find them anywhere, man. I can listen I to them on YouTube. I can listen. Yeah. And it's a great record. No. It's a great record. I cannot get my hands on it. I was hoping you might be able to do me a favor on that one. But, I don't but, have any but, of them. <laughs> I just Doc, them that's Dr. Chud. He's got them all. All right. Well, so you, you put out that record, and then you put out the Gotham Road record. Yep. And then the Marines. Yep. That's a, that's a change, man. That's a, it's I, a, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you the short of it all. We have to go back to when I when I first left the Misfits. I had some money in my pocket, but I knew eventually it was going to run out. And 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 Graves was 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 difficult because I was in a tough place, and Chud was making the decisions. And um, coming out of the Misfits, I was being sued for almost a million dollars from 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 somebody that something happened at a show, and again I didn't have anything. And the way that that um, it was being taken care of was through the band and once I lost the band I kind of had to do it myself and I didn't have the I didn't have the know-how or the funds to even try to defend myself mm -hmm. so I had that hanging over my head um, soon after that I I, I went through um, a good friend of mine I, I actually I, I was I was engaged to be married and that fell apart in, in spectacular fashion. My mom and her friend decided to try to play matchmaker with a lifelong friend. And soon after we began to talk, she hit some hard times and 
she hung herself. Um, again, like I said, the, the uh, friends of mine were murdered in that time. I had lost everything. I had no money. I was living at my mom's. It was fucking crazy. And then the Twin Towers come down. Um, and I had left graves by then, and now my life is just in shambles. What the fuck am I going to do? Um, Gotham Road had just started. I was um, working on figuring out how to rebuild my life. I was taking a fireman's test. I was thinking about becoming a cop. Um, you know, because the music industry is hard. And after the towers came down, uh, I, I, I hooked up with a couple of, of friends of mine that were in politics. And I started to get more into that sphere. A guy by the name of Andrew Wilkow started to fill in and get a Sunday show on WABC. Wilkow, yeah, at 7.70 a.m. Before, you know, way before he's got the, the show now. And I used to call in on Sundays. And him and I got to talking. And... Once it, we, we fast forward and it got close, you know, the, the war and, and the election with George Bush, um, I decided to, well, Andrew started to tell me about this website that they were building in response to what was called Punk Voter that was aligned with, it was George Soros money, it was Media Matters, it was well-funded, and it was to get in the entertainment industry, pop punk and artists and fans like that to to. Um, information and to vote as a major block. It was the early MSNBC days, you know, before MSNBC was what it was. It was this huge thing. So the conservatives, if you will, the you know, you know, the different sort of patriots, um, Andrew Wilkow, myself, uh, and a couple of other people took out, started this website. And I thought this is great. I can write. I can speak. It'll be a great outlet for me. So I started helping them develop this. The New York Times picked up on, on something that I, had, that I had written. You know, and all along, uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. Along comes uh, a high school buddy of mine who just happens to be, him and, and his brother, my brother and I both grew up with them, um, were recruiters, were Marine Corps recruiters. Now, even before I got into the Misfits, I grew up in, in a family full of law enforcement. My dad was a cop. Um, you know, my, my grandfather, just, you know, and so it was second nature to me. And I always, I gave myself a certain amount of time. Well, my father gave me a certain amount of time to pursue the whole music thing. And then he said, you know, like me, you go into the military, okay. college, you get this, you get that. That's my dad's mindset. And it worked out differently for me. But when I had nothing and I had hit rock bottom and uh, that popped into my head again, maybe I'll go into the military, I had met a girl, I had fallen in love with her. I wanted to have a family, I wanted to have children, I wanted to have a life. I didn't want to just chase this dream um, forever. So you have all of these things. So when the New York Times ran the article for conservative punk, punk voter, I had a tour over in Europe, I was still touring in the States. It was like throwing a brick at a hornet's nest. The floodgates opened, all of the promoters in Europe backed out, I started getting death threats from Europe. All of the, the, the left-wing organizations in Europe um, hooked up with all of the left-wing organizations in America and eventually just 
blacklisted me from everything. There was no, there was no media that would talk to you know, no music media, uh, no promoter, no agency, no manager, no bands, nobody. Nobody would work with me because I was a conservative. Um, and so I was basically run out of the business, man. I, I had nothing left. And so I joined, I joined the military um, because I had nothing left, because I wanted to fight the war that I believed was the right thing to do. Um, I saw the towers come. We could smell the smoke where I, where I was living. Um, you know, I was lost and, and I wanted something. I wanted to go to college. I, I wanted to, I wanted to fucking be something. I was the, I was the lead singer of the Misfits and now, and now I have nothing. Um, and so as a, you know, and, and plus it, I, I was, I was older. Um, and so it was a, it was an extra challenge and that made it, that made it, uh, all the more, uh, appealing to me. Now, I'm giving you the long story. When I got in, I really worked with um, recruiting and, and worked with young people and, and got them to... But what was happening on the side was there was people that were in the military and out of the military and everyone else that I knew in the press were feeding me this information like, listen, this, what you are seeing, what you saw with the towers and the war and uh, at that time Patrick Tillman is not the truth. And I was still asleep and I was just like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Um, and even when I was in boot camp, I was getting letters from these people and, um, and eventually it, it snapped and the truth came to light and I no longer wanted to, and I no longer would fight in, in, in that way. I just, I didn't want to do it anymore at all, at all. I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to do it. And so I got out as quickly as I, I got in, I, I was out. I was not going to be the guy that was gonna stand there as caskets came back and be the guy to stand there and as honor, not to take anything away from honoring, you know, my brothers, but I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna be a part of that machine. How were you able to get out? I mean, was there a I'm not fucking moving, sir. I'm not doing anything. I'm done. I'm done, and this is why. And, 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 and I laid it all out, and my commanding officers, the people that were above me, I knew, you know, obviously knew who I was and knew that I was, you know, I was an old man, if you will, in, in, the, uh, in the military. I was a reservist and they got it. They were, I, I wanted to fight the war, but like someone, said to, like someone said to me, a military man said to me, he said, Michael, you, you do have a choice here. You, you know, you can, you can but you should fight this war in a different way. The military is not your place. This is not where you need to be. You know, my, my biggest regret that I think about giving up and quitting the way that I did um, is because I knew, you know, I wanted to go over there as an older person with, with some of these kids. And I wanted to motivate them and command them and, and you know, and take care of them. And I, I, have, I have guilt inside for the, for, you know, helping people get into that and, and go over there and fight and do all those things that they did. And, you know, and I kind of went home. So, you know, it was a crazy, it was a crazy time. Okay, so, um, which by the way, this is just a quick thing. I'm gonna think about the, 
Is, is it, well, first of all, is this what got you kind of really got you into politics once you got you you already mentioned with Andrew Wilkow. I was I was always into politics. When you start to really tear apart the Misfits lyrics, you really look at it forensically. All of the same things are are there. All of the same things that that came to light in a in a more articulated version. Um, it was is always, I've never it's never been. It's never been, you know, really different. It kind of went off the tracks a bit, you know, after the towers came down. That was a, that was a huge operation that, you know, really psychologically impacted a lot of people, including myself, and put a lot of people to sleep. But once I, I, I awakened again, it's always been the, the, the same. So you come out of the military, and I know you put out you put out a couple of your your punk records, which were you know, great records. I love those records, and then Illusions. Mm-hmm. That was like this is the new Michael Graves and yeah. which is phenomenal record. Thank you. But here's here's the more interesting aspect of just the music of it, Damien Eccles. Exactly. And you may not, you probably don't remember this. This was my God, how long was this? Good, at least ten years ago. I messaged you through MySpace. If you remember that archaic MySpace. Ah, of course I do. And I thought, okay, so growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, and you know what happened across the bridge, and you hear everything in Memphis, everything is murders, 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 murders. You hear yeah. it more in Memphis than you do anything outside. And, and I, I, man, when that, when that happened, I was like 14, 15 years old. Absolutely. Damon Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, you know, Jesse Baldwin, satanic murders. And... I just started seeing more and more of that and, and I, that's kind of the trap I fell into. And then I see people like, and, and God bless them, but Henry Rollins and, and you know, Eddie Vedder and you know, Matt Skiba, and, which is one of my favorite artists, period. Mm-hmm. They're very to the left and I was like, is this, a, is this just a left agenda? And I think I kind of fell into that trap and I remember I messaged you and I was like, you are the one who opened my eyes. You really did. Because I thought, okay, it's not right versus left as I'm being fed. It's mm-hmm. right versus wrong. Exactly. And, and after that, I started, and I remember you replied to me. He's like, man, it's not often somebody gets it. And I dug deep, man. I, I, I read the books. I watched any documentaries. I was reading mm-hmm. online. Everything. And I know it's a long, if you call this a question, but I guess, how did you get into it? How did illusions happen? I mean, everything about that. Same way that everybody else did. I watched Paradise Lost again. And you get to that, the end of that movie and you're just, you're pissed. Because it's, you know, it's clear that somebody else did it, not these guys. And so I was touring, I was miserable. I was looking for some sort of motivation, something to get the, the fire burning. And I went on WM3.org and saw that Damien was writing a book. I found some email addresses. I emailed the folks at WM3.org, uh, Burke, Kathy, uh, Lisa. Um, and I wrote to and got in touch with um, uh, Angie Vela, who was doing World Awareness Day. And I eventually spoke to Damien's wife. And I told them, I'm going out on this tour. I'm gonna be gone for like two months. I, I see so many people 
you know, let me into the organization. Give me as many books as you can. I'll buy them from you. I'll go out and I'll hand them to people. I'll, I'll let them buy some of the books. I'll send Damien money in his commissary um, just so that we can light a fire, if you will, to, to, to raise awareness. Um, and so we did that. Now I started to write to Damien and him and I would write letters back and forth. Um, and, and the pace quickened to the point where we started to be creative together. And, I, and since he was writing a lot of poetry, so why don't you, um, you know, send some poetry. It'll come out, we'll, we'll record your voice speaking it, and I'll put music over it. We'll put it out, um, and it'll be both an artistic, you know, something for him to think about and, and do, so he's just not sitting there. And he can use that as an outlet. We can get a little bit of money for him, put it in his commissary, so that he can, and it'll, you know, so he can live, and it'll help raise awareness to the cause. So eventually, illusions came from that because he, he, he went to work on this project, and the next letter back I got said, "I think I wrote a song," wow. and he said, in the way that he would do it, it was frostbite, and oh, that's such a good song. and so he would send me the lyrics. And then the, the letter would be, you know, I was thinking of the song by Nick Cave and a little bit of, of, you know, listen to the second verse. And he doesn't have any of this. He's sitting there in total silence and he's listening to it in his head. And then I would go and I would listen to the music that he was describing that he would hear in his head. And then I would sit, sometimes in darkness and complete silence. And I would just meditate on his, on his words. And then I would, I would put the music to it. Was he here, Nick? I mean, Nick Cave. He didn't listen to anything in prison. I'm assuming. No, he had so, a little. He had like a little transistor type radio. So no, he, he anything that he was listening to was from memories. Folks, so I just wonder. I, mean, I would have thought that a guy that you see on all Paradise Lost videos and the Metallic and all that is, and that's the stereotype that we all have in us. Is like I wouldn't think he's listening to Nick Cave, which I yeah. love Nick Cave in the bad sense. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. That's crazy. So are you still in contact with any of those guys? Um. I haven't, now and then I send Damien a message through Twitter. Um, so no, I, I lived in Little Rock, Arkansas for, for a year and did some work out there and, and was working with a, a group of um, young law students that were real interested in the case and were working um, through back channels and, 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 and through front channels to, to try to eventually work through legislation in Arkansas to be able to open up the case, which will never happen. I know I'm a pessimist about it, but it'll never happen. There's too many people with skin in the game that have yeah. moved on up the, yeah. the ladder. That it'll never happened. That case, I'm, I'm about to be 42, so I think I'm around Damien's age and yeah. your age. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in North Mississippi, and it was a huge story. And if anything, it teaches you not to judge people and get the facts. Don't, you know, right, and it, and it also teaches how effective and how dangerous and how manipulative information can be in a vacuum. And that was the political side of it. People said, well, as a conservative, like, what are you doing? And it was the perfect example to say, well, look where, where our republic has come from. For example, that's where we have the... Um, you know, the witch trials in Salem where everybody has this mindset and they have no other information to, to come in to make a, a decision or, or come to a conclusion about something. And so therefore you can control the minds of the people that you want to, which happened in West Memphis 3 and all around that area. 
one of the first things that was put into evidence in a court in, a, in, in America for the West Memphis Three case was that there was a full moon that night. There was a full moon that night. And so therefore that full moon must have been part of what made Damien Eccles and these brutally murder these, these, these beautiful babies. The last thing I did was um, in that I stood on the steps of the, the Capitol building and, and rallied with some of the, the families of, of the West Memphis Three. I played it, Lucifer I am too. It just kills me in that one of those documentaries, the guy got his quote unquote satanic degree out of the back of a magazine. And he admits that in oh, court. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was an he was an That's expert, and all of his testimony was 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 put, it was it was a total man, terrible there, sham. There are so many flaws in that case. I mean, we would literally need a separate podcast to talk about this. That's the truth. But I mean, everything from yeah, just just look at Jesse Miss Kelly's. You know, look, look at his statement, and look at what ha- happened. Somebody's knocking. Hey, buddy. A little ahead of time. Just look up. Okay. What is that? Oh, he's just telling me about time. Okay. We, okay. We, 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 now we're cool. Four, four o'clock. Okay. Let's go ahead and we'll we'll start going through this. We don't have a we don't have a whole lot left. Go Michael Graves is long winded. <laughs> and and David and Chris like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, uh, how did you start singing with Marky Ramones? Blitzkrieg. He called me up. His actually his manager called me up, and the first time he did, I hung up on him. I thought it was a joke. He just called me up and asked. And I said, absolutely, of course. You have a charm of life. That's what I'm saying. Mark, I, that's what I'm the saying. The Ramones and the Misfits, people. I mean, come now, on. Now, now, granted, I, 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 don't, I knew Marky. You know, I toured with Marky uh, back in the day. Um, so those guys ran in circles, you know. I, I knew Marky. Um, you know, when Joey was alive, I used to see Joey, get to hang out with Joey. Um, I hung out with Dee Dee a couple of times. I talked to Johnny. You know, I talked to Johnny during the conservative punk. I bet you did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did y'all, CJ, CJ's a friend. Did of y'all mine. write any? Hmm? Did, did you guys write any new material? Marky and I yeah. wrote, uh, we released When We Were Angels. We did uh, Best of Me. And there was a B-side to um, an, uh, a single that we released. So you wrote that with Marky? No, 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 uh, it was written and then we just, we recorded it together. Okay. Okay. Did y'all think about putting out a, was there ever thoughts of possibly putting out a record? I was constantly trying to have him put out a record. He's, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so then we, uh, we take a little bit of time off after that. And then you start getting into it. I had a child. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And a much delayed congratulations. Thank you. But you start, when you come out and you start making your new material, this is, I, I really believe this is Michael Graves hitting his stride, man, because I feel like you've proven yourself to be one of the more prolific songwriters, and your records of the last, you know, how long, we're looking at probably about five years or so, have been phenomenal. Thank you. I mean, phenomenal. And I just think that, you know, if, if anybody hasn't, heard these records and maybe they're Michael Gray's fans but they know the Misfits stuff I would say that A they're really missing out B they're going to be surprised it yeah. doesn't sound like Forbidden Zone it doesn't sound no. like American Psycho no. it's a what influenced the new sound that you brought on all those bands that we were talking about before just the 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 everything in my life all of the music that I've heard all the music that's inspired me when I write songs for records that, that you're referring to, again, I, I don't put myself in a box. It's a little bit different with 
um, obviously with the Misfits music and you know, some of the Lost Skeleton stuff where I was specifically trying to write in a certain way. Um, and with the other records, I just kind of, it's a much more natural state. And I, and I, and I don't necessarily, you know, I'm really trying to get across what's happening inside me. You know, I start with the emotional part of it and then I, and then I build off of that. Um, so it's just a, a bit of liberty I've given myself as a writer. And, you know, I've, I've been doing it, I've been writing for 20 years, so I think that some of that experience is, you know, catches up and, and I'm getting a little bit better at the craft. We, we started this podcast a little over a year ago. Chris and I were fraternity brothers in college, but he, he's really gotten me into your music in the last year. And I was at the hotel room this morning and I was, I was listening to, uh, was it Punk Rock is Dead? Yeah. And then I was listening to Backroads and I was trying to like, I was telling Chris earlier, I can't think of a more eclectic, the only person I can come up with that has released as eclectic albums to you is Beck. Uh huh. You know, he, he can write the, the rap stuff, he mm -hmm. can do the soul stuff, he can do the country stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Anyway, it's just really refreshing because you don't seem to stay boxed in for a long period of time, which means you're not complacent, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is really refreshing. I don't have any strings on me. Now I'll have a, a record company over me saying, or pressuring me, or, you know, I, I don't have people like that. It's quite the opposite. I have people around me saying, when it's time to create, go and create what's, what's in your mind, what's in your soul, what's in your spirit. And because that's the key, that's always been the key is to make connections with people. Make a connection with people. Everybody hurts. Everybody's lost in some way. You know, everybody knows happiness. Everybody knows sadness and loss. Mm -hmm. So, and to, 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 to recognize the blessing that I have and the gifts I have to be able to encapsulate those things in my experience and share them with others and have them recognize it, that's the, that's the key to everything. And that's the difference between my stuff and Glenn's stuff. Well, see, we're music fans, man. I mean, I go anything from, uh, I mean, I, I may listen to Slayer one minute and listen to Otis Redding the next. Me, me too. Me too. And, and that, that's, and that's the truth. What, and that's what I love, man. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and for anybody that's just listening to this, and maybe they're not familiar, uh, I would say Ch your, your latest record, Backroads, was phenomenal. Thank uh, you. But, but Vagabond and Wanderer, Thanks. Man, they're, they're so damn good. Thank you. They really are. You know, um, I love those records. I would tell anybody listening, check out Vagabond and Wanderer. You're not going to be disappointed. So, what we're about to see is a solo acoustic show. Yes. But you just got back from Europe, right? Mm hmm And you took the full band? Mm-hmm. How was that? It was tremendous. Was that your first time taking a full band over there? That was the first, yeah, the first time. I did some touring over there with Marky, but that was the first time, you know, Michael Graves was over there um, since, since, since I was there with the Misfits. And I just referred to myself kind of in the third person. <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, speaking of touring, um, I, I saw, I was reading on your website where you're wanting to spend less time on the road and more time with your family. That's the and truth. So you started the Patreon. Yes. Why don't you, uh, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it, but yeah. why don't you explain to people what Patreon the is? Patreon is patreon.com slash Michael Graves. It's a great platform for, for creative people, for artists. Um, it, it doesn't end around Google and Facebook and YouTube where you build a following, you put out your, your creations, but the monetary compensation is nil, if anything. Even for the people that have millions of subscribers, 
by the time the, the money gets to you, it's been chopped up in 700 different ways. So you have a platform like Patreon that integrates some of these other technologies and gives the artist and the creative person the ability to extract money from fans um, who are willing to pay and support the artist who's, who's doing it. And there's just a small fee taken. And a Patreon as well gives you the ability to give uh, and offer exclusive access, which, which I do, um, and gives people like me an opportunity to try to normalize our lives. It's the circus life out here. And, and as much as I do this because I love to do it, I also do it because I have to do it. I have three children. I have an ex-wife. You know, I, I have, uh, you know, responsibilities. And so if I could just, if I could stay, all, I, I love my children so much. And, and as they get older, uh, I, I see that I've missed a lot of their their life. I've watched my kids grow up on the computer screen. Right. You know, I, I talk to them maybe 15, 20 minutes a day. And that's the input that I have, you know, into their life. And it's, and it's hard. And it's manageable. And we get through and we're a very loving family. My kids are, are very well adapted and wonderful, wonderful humans. Very proud of them. Um, but there's nothing like being home and being right. present. Uh, and so Patreon and, and applications like that uh, offer a way to, to, to be creative and uh, offer content to fans uh, in, in ways to be monetarily compensated so that I can start to, you know, shave off some of the touring time that, that takes me away. Well, anybody listening, man, I, I myself am going to go on Patreon for Michael Grace. I hope everybody else does. Thank and you. And to that point too, just I, I just wanted to say this for for anybody that's kind of new to Michael's music, maybe you know the Misfits, maybe you don't know Michael's solo music. Check out hydraulic-entertainment.com. This man has downloads of his full albums for it's only five dollars an album. Um, his music is excellent. You're not going to be disappointed. And to that note, I will just say if you just quick little thing, anything else you want to say about Hydraulic Entertainment? Uh, well. I think it speaks for itself when you go over there and you see the amount of content that's there and um, what we offer and like you said that the prices that we that we offer um, are, are very doable you can go and you can listen to the the albums on YouTube you find them all over the place but we figure you know for the again for the fans that know that I'm completely DIY and 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 we do this all ourselves uh, five bucks isn't that much to not. to, to yeah, download we, and contribute. From you. from day one on this podcast, we preach buy music, don't stream it, buy music. Uh, pretty much every tweet that we send out, we hashtag buy music. Yeah, especially uh, especially bands at my level. People think that I'm at a high level, but you know, I, I do everything myself. I do everything myself. Well, is there anything else you want to plug before we wrap um, it up? You know, no. I, I think that perhaps if if any. Um, uh, one of the things that, that I've been preaching is, you know, we got into politics a, a little, um, and I've kind of taken a backseat to a lot of that. Um, I do end arounds when people ask me now about politics, when we really get into um, some of the, um, you know, the questions from, from other interviewers, and I stay out of it, and because a lot of the questions are on the surface. So my, my larger point is that 
I, I hope, you know, there's a big controversy about my boots and my and the my red laces in my boots. Crazy, crazy so stuff. What is that supposed to mean? You're not. Well, you're not, yeah. You well, because, yeah. Too. Yes, that's course, exactly what that's course. exactly what 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 people think that it it means, and it's just it's, it's just ignorance. Is what it is. It is. So I always say, you know, the the people that are in the punk scene and who are politically engaged, um, I hope that through mediums like this that we can begin to have conversations about the different subjects and topics that, that integrate with music and in our lives in a way that we're not shouting and confronting each other. Because the more we get into this, uh, the, the, the crazier it's, it's getting and it's gotten to the point where, again, I have children. I watch what I say. Not because I, 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 I don't have the, the wherewithal or the, obviously, the, you know, the, the balls to say it, but I travel light. And again, I, I want to get back home to my family and, and things that have been said to me about, you know, it's, it's dangerous. And so I just hope that, that we can continue to, to keep a spirit of peace and love um, and, and talk to each other and stop arguing. Stop the divisiveness. Yeah, man. And get your news yeah. from more than one source. That's the truth. That's the truth. People are going to blackmail me and come after me because of the color of my laces. We have to talk, people. We got to talk. All right, Michael. We're just so thankful you took the time to speak Thank to you. us. We're going to do five rapid-fire questions with you. Okay. You just... First thing off the top of your head, all right? All right. I'll go first. Okay. What's the first album you ever bought? Uh, Daryl Hall and John Oates, H2O. Is there a favorite album? Uh, or the closest thing you can think of off the top of your head? Um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. That's a good one. Favorite band? You 2 If you could be in any one band, besides Michael Gray's band. I want to be in the Foo Fighters. We've heard that before. Yeah, we've heard that before. All right, last one. Favorite song of your career? The, the Misfits, Michael Graves? Um, I think that it's Fiend Without a Face with the Misfits. I remember being in the studio and us as a team making that song come together. It was so different than anything that we had ever worked on or done before. And I remember the band... All of them were like, oh, I don't know, and, and us just working through it, and I was conducting everybody. I love that song so much because we came together as a team, and, and um, it really was, it was a signpost of what we could have accomplished had we kept it all together. Um, so every time I listen to that song, it's it's kind of bittersweet. I have lots of memories. But it's my absolute favorite because it was such victory. Um, and so let me leave you with, yeah. with that. Again, I know I'm long-winded, but um, there's been so much tragedy and tough things in my life. And, and I hope and I don't think that I ever come across as complaining. And what I would like to say to my fans and everybody that's that's listening is is what I think separates me from a lot of people and what I hope people who are listening will, will, will separate themselves from other people by living a life of victory. Because it's not about, you can't dwell on, on, on you know, you fall down. Oh, our equipment got uh, stolen and, and oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I always say, you know what? We celebrate the fact that we got back up and we're out and we're working and I'm creating and I'm back on stage. 
I live a life of victory. I live a life of victory. Um, and I hope that, that everybody else does. And, and I know that my, my fans really resonate with that as well. Well, thank you very much once again. Thank you. Uh, we, we really enjoyed it. I think uh, people are going to like it. And, uh, I hope so. You were as interesting as we thought you would be. Support well, thank this you. guy. This guy <laughs> is one of the best artists out there. And he always laughs at me. His wife laughs at me. Because sometimes I'll throw this around. But if there's ever a more appropriate time to say it, Michael Graves, criminally underrated artist, support this dude. Thank I you. Agree. Thank you. Have a good show. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Appreciate it.